1: You're a true player. You look for every advantage you can get. Congratulations. You just found it. The winning edge. Sports gaming strategies and information you won't find anywhere else. 24 hours a day. Seven days a week. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. Are you ready? This is Pushing the Odds. Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas. Vegas, baby, Vegas!
2: Here's your host, Matt Peralta. What's up, guys? How are you? Off and running on a Wednesday for Pushing the Odds here in Vegas. Matt Peralta with you. You can follow me on Twitter at Sports Talk. Matt, the show on Twitter at Pushing the Odds as we are here exclusively on Sports Grid Radio Channel 204 for the next hour. Lots to get into, including last night's incredible Colorado and Vegas hockey game. If you aren't watching that series, I know it's on late night on the East Coast, but my Goodness, I don't care if you're a hockey fan or not. I don't care if you don't understand hockey or don't find the joy in playoff hockey. You have to be watching this series. There could only be one game left, maybe two, depending on what Colorado does in Game 6. But I'm going to say this. I don't think the Stanley Cup Finals are going to be as entertaining and as incredible as this series has been between the Avalanche and the Golden Knights it has been unbelievable and when you stop and think about the fact that 20 years ago this year is when ray bork and the avalanche won the stanley cup and that's really when people in from my part of the country in in the northeast when colorado was you know not an afterthought but they were an expansion team and you know the original six cities tend to look at those other cities like okay you're just coming on board and Okay, so Ray Bork did not win the cup with the Bruins, went to the cup twice, lost to the Oilers twice. Ray Bork goes to Colorado, wins the cup with the Avalanche, and then it was like, oh, yeah, they have a franchise in Colorado. (laughs) That was 20 years ago. Now the Vegas Golden Knights are kind of that team, and in year one of their existence, Vegas goes to the Stanley Cup Finals. Vegas has had an incredible start to their career, to their history But this might be the most entertaining and incredible series they have played, and they played in the Cup Finals against the Washington Capitals. It is unbelievable to watch. It is unbelievable to experience night in and night out. The level of hockey being played between Colorado and Vegas is incredible. The goaltending, Philip Grubauer and Marc-Andre Fleury, unreal. And the story of the Golden Knights, if they were to go on and win the Stanley Cup, Pete DeBoer, the head coach of Vegas, did something in Game 1 that was either completely boneheaded or absolutely brilliant. Marc-Andre Fleury played incredibly well against Minnesota, but he was dog-tired. He played seven games. He had been traveling, he had been flying, and he was out of gas. And the head coach of Vegas decided to sit down the Vesna finalist to give him four days rest. Say, hey... If I don't play you in game one, I'm going to give you four days of rest. We're going to be in for a really tough series. And so Vegas played Robin Leonard, who had not played in over two weeks, up against the incredible firepower of the Colorado Avalanche. And what happened was a 7-1 loss. Vegas got throttled, killed. But what happened was Colorado may have gotten a sense of security or overconfidence that they were going to be able to beat Vegas. Because for four consecutive games now, the Vegas Golden Knights have outplayed the Avalanche. Whether it be at home or on the road, it doesn't really matter. Vegas has outplayed Colorado. They should have won game two. They hit five posts and a BS call in, in overtime or in yeah, in, in overtime. That led to a power play goal to win the game for Colorado. Never should have been called. You heard Jeremy Roenick on this show say that exact same thing. It was an awful call by the referees. Vegas could have already won this series in five. And the Avalanche know it. The Golden Knights last night with Mark Stone's game-winning goal. Unreal in overtime. Vegas was down 2-0. Marc-Andre Fleury in the first period with 0. .8 seconds left gave up what could have been the worst goal of his entire career. A really easy shot that should have been saved, batted away, and instead he tried to catch it and he missed it and it went in the net. And it was one nothing. The first period was dominated by Vegas. The second period was completely dominated by Colorado and Vegas was able to withstand it only give up one goal. It was 2-0 going into the third period. Vegas scores quickly. They get the equalizer. They go to overtime where Mark Stone gets the game winner. And Vegas heads back here to Vegas, here to to T-Mobile Arena tomorrow night with a chance to advance to take on the Montreal Canadiens. The winner of this series is going to the Stanley Cup Finals. The winner of this series is going to be the odds-on favorite to win the Stanley Cup. In fact, this morning... Vegas opens up at the FanDuel Sportsbook as one of the favorites to win the Stanley Cup. Tampa Bay at plus 175, Vegas at plus 230. Here in Vegas, those two teams are flipped. Vegas is the odds-on favorite to win the Stanley Cup. Tampa Bay, number two. We're probably heading towards a Tampa Bay-Vegas Stanley Cup final, and it's going to be unbelievable. I don't know if Vegas can beat Tampa. Tampa. I'm not sure anybody can beat Tampa with the way they're playing right now. Vasilevsky's playing incredible hockey in net for the Lightning. They're the defending champs. They've got three incredible lines. Yeah, it's going to be tough. But Colorado versus Tampa or Vegas versus Tampa is going to be unbelievable. I'm not totally discounting the Islanders or the Bruins, but the Bruins need to do some some work tonight. Bruins are going to start Dukorask tonight in net in a must-win situation. We'll get into that game coming up a little bit later on. But next are four big stories. A lot of basketball. Phoenix Suns tonight. Can they go up 2-0? And then last night, the 76ers getting a win over the Atlanta Hawks. A lot to get to. It is a Wednesday. It's pushing the odds right here on Sports Good Radio, Channel 204.
1: called trust it's why we're here for you keep it here and get the edge edge. you're listening to the sports grid radio network you're listening
2: to pushing the odds live from las vegas here's matt so the indiana patriots have an opening for their head coaching position terry stotts might go from portland to indiana that report coming out from chris hayes of yahoo here this morning We are in that part of the year, and what's interesting is that the Boston Celtics still have a head coaching opening, and there hasn't been much talk besides the fact that Jason Kidd was going to be, I guess, is a candidate for Boston, but he's not a candidate for Portland, and so Portland's got a job opening, Indiana's got a job opening, Boston's got a job opening, And we'll see who winds up getting those positions. And, you know, Boston's going to take its time, it looks like. But this is a big hire for Brad Stevens. He's never done this before. I mean, the guy's never hired anyone. Never been an AD. Never been an administrator. I mean, he's hired, I guess, assisting coaches. So I guess he's gone through that process as to who's going to be on his bench. But he hasn't hired a head coach. Somebody to replace him. So that hire is fascinating. And then Damian Lillard is being asked in Portland, okay, what do you want? And who do you want? And he said Jason Kidd. And then Jason Kidd said, no, I don't want you. So now what? <laughs> who gets the Portland job? And if you don't hire the guy that Damian Lillard wants, will Damian Lillard ask for out to be, you know, shipped out? So th- you know that there's a lot of moving pieces there in Portland. Boston's got two superstars who are going to be heavily Invested in who the head coach is going to be, and there are all sorts of conflicting reports as to whether or not Brad Stevens lost the locker room. Some people say he did, others are saying no, he did not. Saying I talked to the players, he did not lose the locker room. Well, then why is he now a president of basketball operations and no longer the head coach? Like, why not hire a GM? (laughs) Like, hire a GM if you're gonna, if Danny Ainge retires. Hire Brad's new boss. Don't hire Brad to, you know, don't elevate Brad Stevens to a basketball president role to run the whole organization when he's never done it before. He's a basketball coach. So everyone's like, hmm, okay, so what's up? (laughs) Like, What's going on? It's a great question. So we'll watch those openings, but Terry Stotts might wind up getting a job pretty quickly after leaving Portland. The other interesting story we'll cover later on today that's not in the the hard four, the, the, the big four stories, is college football now again. And I made this joke yesterday, but, like, it must be June because we're talking about the college football playoffs, you know, format, which is like your typical June conversation every year. But I guess the the the, the college football committee and the presidents are actually serious about making a recommendation for when the contract ends in 2024. For expansion and the two ideas are interesting eight-team playoff or a 12 team playoff the SEC supposedly is pushing hard for a 12 team playoff that is interesting because they believe that they could get three or four teams every year into the playoffs there's a lot of logic to that I mean there really is and you could say all right the winner of the SEC gets in automatically But then there's a chance for, like, LSU and Florida and Georgia and Auburn and all these other teams, if they're having good years, to be selected. I'm not really down with that, to be quite honest. I don't want to really water down the regular season anymore, and I want the games to matter. And I also want there to be a lot of competition for the automatic bid. And I think if you make it a 12-team deal, I'm not really a fan of that. I've always said eight five automatic qualifiers, and then three at-large bids. The question with the three at-large bids will be, do you have to secure or reserve one spot for a non-Power 5 school? And if you don't, are you getting sued because of it? We'll get to that a little bit later on in this hour of the program at 40 past. Ben Kercheval is going to come on to talk about the college football playoffs and what may happen here as early as this week for a recommendation from the committee as to what should happen next for college football expansion. It, it, it seems like the, the answer is yes, they're going to expand. The question is, to how many teams? So more on that coming up at 40 Past. But big four stories. We'll start in hockey. Number one, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. What an incredible game last night. One of the best hockey games you will see. One of the best one of the best series you'll ever watch is Vegas and Colorado. Just an incredible, incredible five games so far, so far to watch. Game six tomorrow night. It's Vegas tries to close it out. But Mark Stone breakaway just a minute into the extra frame. Puts Vegas up 3-2. Brave shoots blocked by Stone. Rebound shot. Pinballs in front. Pick it up by Patreon. Out for Stone. Here he comes. Working left side. He shoots. He scores!
1: Mark Stone he wins it in overtime three to two golden knights the captain delivers his fifth goal of the playoffs
2: mark stone almost scored the game winner at the end of regulation he scores the game winner just a minute into overtime i thought he'd score i i picked mark stone to get the game winner but i thought he'd do it like in the 14th minute he did it in the well the the first minute or second minute Of the overtime period Vegas up three to two now awesome awesome series awesome game also great series game six tonight in on Long Island Islanders trying to close out the Bruins in six games after Bruce Cassidy the coach of the Bruins called the Islanders the New York Saints for what Barry Trotz has been saying about the way that the Islanders are playing hockey versus the way that the Bruins are playing hockey. And that's justification for all the power plays being awarded to the Islanders. You know, Bruins fans are not happy. They're on the road. Tuka Rask will start in net tonight for the Boston Bruins. They're searching a little bit, but Barry Trotz had a response yesterday to Bruce Cassidy before the two teams play tonight.
3: I don't work them. I I just, I respect them because I've, uh... As I said, I worked the uh, the, the referees situation in the uh, in the bubble last year, and I got ran over. I tried to call penalties. I tried to call offsides. I got hit with pucks. I got knocked over. I got all that stuff. So um, I I think I have a, a and I've been in the league a long time. I just it's a hard job, and I have a lot of respect for those guys uh, it, it, because I I lived it. I was bruised and battered after the bubble. Uh, being a being rough during our scrimmages
2: yeah still didn't justify where we are with the penalties though just because they have a hard job number three hell of a game last night in phoenix Suns took a one game lead 1-0 in game one over the clippers they win la had a blocked three at the buzzer to tie the game after blowing a big first half lead paul george played pretty poorly he did hit a big three late however Clippers still lost the game by three. However, Paul George believes his team is okay, even though they're down 1-0. I mean,
1: is, we just continue to uh, give ourselves chances. Um, I think that's the positive. That terrible third quarter to start to, to have up, what, 13? 13, 13 or 14 in the third to start it. And uh, we just came out flat. They came out. Uh, I mean, they are playing desperation ball the whole night. And, um you know, we, we didn't match it until late. Um, but you know, I think the positive out of it is uh, you know, we gave ourselves a chance. Um, uh, regardless if you know, regardless we gave this one up, uh, with a flat third. We still gave ourselves a chance to win
2: this. Fourth and finally, no Aaron Rodgers at Packers minicamp. That was expected. Green Bay may or may not be excusing their quarterback from the minicamp and the fine that comes with it. That's interesting if they do choose to do that. But head coach Matt LaFleur was pressed yesterday about his starting quarterback not showing up for minicamp. Hey, Matt, whether it's was excused or not, you said last week that you hoped to see Aaron here today. How disappointed are you that you don't see him here? Yeah, you, you know, I think anytime you're talking about um, any player on your football team, you, you'd love everybody to be here. And so, um, you know, it's certainly, it is what it is, man. And uh, we'll focus and we'll control and, and and work on the guys that are here and try to help them become the best to their ability and, and, and coach the heck out of them. 702 751, Matt, is our text line. You guys want to hop in here on a Wednesday's pushing the odds. 702 751 We've got games to break down in the NHL, games to break down in the NBA. We'll do that coming up next. Then Brendan Kercheval will join us about the college football playoff expansion idea. Eight teams, 12 teams, and when? could this happen if we are expanding the college football playoff format a lot to come on a wednesday don't move it's pushing the odds on sports good radio channel 204
1: We're here 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. Don't believe us. Never turn us off. You'll see. Keep listening to the Sports Grid Radio Network. This is Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt.
2: If you are betting on tennis, you have Rafa Nadal who has... Won 272 sets at the French Open. In 17 tournaments, the dude has dropped just 23 sets. He is now into the semifinals. He moves on in a four-set victory today into the semifinals at Roland Garros. The dude just dominates on the clay. So, you know, most people have him winning or making the semifinals. So they closely watch Nadal. And he's doing what he always does there, which is dominate. So... Good stuff there with that. We will talk about the NCAA and the, well, I guess not the NCAA because they actually don't control the college football playoff. But the idea of moving to eight teams or to three teams, or sorry, to, to from eight teams to 12 teams, adding potentially, you know, as many as, you know, we go from four to eight or from four to 12. You're either tripling it or doubling it the teams that are going to be in, and then how do you get the teams in? Do you automatically qualify them? Is it going to be a 12? Some people want a 12-team selection show, meaning no automatic qualifiers, but they select a 12-team field, which is so stupid, it hurts my head. And only college football would do that. Only college football would be dumb enough to say, let's get a bunch of people in a room, and let's pick the 12 best teams. And let's... that." Then we'll go ahead and we'll shade or we'll give preferential treatment from a seeding perspective if you happen to win your conference. But we aren't going to guarantee you a spot unless you get, you know, even if you win your division, you win your conference. That's not enough. We're not going to make you automatically in. And it's so incredibly dumb. You have to have automatic qualifiers. You have to limit the amount of human beings in a room to talk about what is happening on a football field instead of watching, you know, watching what a football, what is happening and saying, what happens on the field? Did A and B play and did A win? And if A wins, A should be in regardless of whether you think A is any good or not. Because as we saw during the NCAA tournament, when all of us, including me, proclaimed the Pac-12 to be overrated, not good, and not being able to do very much, well, guess what? (laughs) The Pac-12 went into the tournament, and they dominated, and they shut us all up. That's what college football has to be given the chance to do. You have to give the opportunity for a story to happen. And if you're going to control the narrative by dictating who is in and who is out based on opinion, you're not going to have a Cinderella or an incredible run. You aren't going to have the magic of sports. You've got a video game that you're controlling and setting up the parameters for which the game's going to be played, and that stinks. Nobody wants that. I know you could look at Oregon out of the Pac-12 or USC out of the Pac-12 and just be like, nah, man, if they played an SEC schedule... They're not going to be able to do anything. They're going to get killed. They're going to win six games. Okay. We'll never know that. But when it comes to winning, when it comes to winning games, I personally, I just think that there are a lot of people out there that undervalue or don't appreciate victories. And if you win your conference, you should be automatically in to the NCAA tournament or to the, yeah, where you are for for basketball or the college football playoffs if you win your conference. So five teams, you start with five. I don't like 12, but I get why the SEC is pushing hard for 12. Eight makes a lot more sense to me, going from four to eight, having three at large. The problem is, and I know this is going to be a highly contested conversation, who gets the one at-large bid that is a non-power five? and does Notre Dame factor into that because if you say we're going to take three teams one of which will be a non power 5 do you know can you claim that Notre Dame is a non power 5 no <laughs> you can't claim that Notre Dame is a power 5 even though they're not officially in a conference so you know a non group of 5 you go okay so a group or a group of 5 non power 5 member you say so you have to allow one of them in i don't know if i want that either because what happens if it's just a bad year. I don't want to just carve out a space and guarantee it for a team that's not that good because it's supposed to happen like that. I don't like that at all. So that is a sticky point that we'll get into with Ben Kirchhoff coming up in the next segments. All right, Bruins tonight on the road trying to keep their year alive against the Islanders. The Islanders are home dogs tonight. Home dogs at plus 120. Minus 142 for the Bruins here. Tuca Rask will be in net. FanDuel has the total at 5.5. You can find fives out there. And the fives are going to be anywhere from minus 130 to minus 140 if you want to bet the over. The under 5.5 is minus 160. I bet under 5.5 last night at minus 145. I I have a philosophy about betting overs on fives and not even worrying about it, just betting five. Here's what I think happens. If the Bruins win tonight, which they're favored to do, if they win, this game goes under. If they lose, I think there's a real shot this game goes over because the Bruins are going to pull the goalie like they did in game number uh, four. Right? Yeah, in game four, they're going to pull the goaltender. And it was 2-1 to in game four. And then the Islanders scored not one, but two empty net goals to get to five. To make it a 4-1 final. So the Bruins will do that with their year on the line. If they're down 2-1 to one or 2 nothing, they're going to pull the goalie. And then we'll see how many goals the Islanders can go ahead and rack up. So that's the, that's the one fear. If the Bruins are down, the over probably hits. If the Bruins win, however... It's a two to one. It's a three to one type of win. Both games in New York have basically been unders two to one, two to one, even though the two empty net goals. The games in Boston have been totally different. First two games, seven goals in each. And then in game number five, you saw a five four win for the Islanders with nine goals being scored. So. You may look at that and say, all right, well, the games in Boston have been high-scoring. Games in New York have been low-scoring. We're going low-scoring. Yeah, that's my that's my bet, too, except if Boston is in elimination games, the over can hit sometimes because of the fact that the goaltender gets pulled in the third period, and Boston will just not care. They'll just go ahead and say, okay, we have to score, so we'll open up the net, and you guys can just pour in goals. So that's my only concern about going against my idea of like finding a five and betting the over. I think there's an opportunity, though, for a 3 2 win here for me, for, for the Bruins or for the Islanders, and it's a push. So I don't hate if you bet over five because there's a real good chance you're going to push, but then I'm going to take the hook at five and a half. I'll pay the extra juice to get the minus 145 potential with a three 2 win and get myself a cash there for under five and a half versus a push at minus 130 by betting the over. So I don't hate it. Some people I've seen are betting both. They're betting over five and under five and a half and trying to cover and trying to, you know, hit one and push on the five. And that's possible. But and then if it goes over, you lose the five and a half, but you win the five. And the, the juice is somewhat similar. Minus 145 to minus 140. So you can play that game if you want, depending on the book. And that's why shopping is, is important from a line perspective. I mean, you can try it. It's you know, maybe you get you go one zero oh, and one, or you go one and one, or you just try to bet one. You know, you're essentially trying to get a push out of that five. If you do that, or you just bet under five and a half. It's you know, you can play the game if you want. I'm just betting under five and a half. I laid the one forty five tonight for the Bruins and the Islanders, and just hopefully, I want the Bruins to win. Okay, <laughs> I want the Bruins to win. So the Bruins winning is good news for my under. The Bruins losing is probably bad news for my underplay with the Bruins and the Islanders. We got one game in the NBA tonight, and that's the Nuggets on the road at the Phoenix Suns. The number is coming down. I laid six last night. Money on Denver. It's now five and a half at the FanDuel Sportsbook here. Minus 110 on both sides. Suns are a minus 220 on the money line. I bet over 222 last night. We are looking now at, an, at a total of 223 and a half. It's interesting. So again, the first number, the first bet came in from the from the professionals to the under, which has been happening a lot here in the postseason. So the first number gets posted, first move to the under. It went from 222 and a half to 222. I bet the over 222 last night. The public wakes up, sees the number, sees the trends sees that game one, the over hit, and they start betting the over. So now we're at 223.5. I'll be very curious to see when FanDuel puts out their information this morning or this afternoon here on the East Coast for what the breakout is from the money and the bet percentages for the over in this game. I think we're probably looking at a 60-40 handle split to the over, but I might be wrong about that. We'll see. There could be pro money coming in here on the under, or maybe the pros woke up this morning and agreed that the 222 was the better number to hammer the over. There's a question about Michael Porter Jr., whether he's going to be in this game or not for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, I know six feels a little high, and I think that people are saying that Jokic and company are going to come out and play really well, but Devin Booker didn't score much. He scored 21. Jokic didn't score much. I don't think DeAndre Ayton's going to play the way he played in game one, but I just need him to play defense well enough to slow down the Joker. He wins the MVP. All eyes are going to be on him. Incredible year for him. But Aiton's got the defensive length, I think, to make his life a little bit more difficult than other teams. And Chris Paul played so darn well in game one. 21-11. and 11. I can't wait to see what Chris Paul looks like tonight. I'm laying the six. It's five and a half. You get a better number. I'm on the over, and I'm on Phoenix minus five and a half tonight against the Denver Nuggets. Next, let's talk to Ben Kercheval about the idea of expanding the postseason for college football. we go into eight. We're going to 12. What are we doing? That conversation next year. I'm pushing the odds.
1: Football, the goal line. Baseball, home plate. Basketball, the net. Sports talk right here. You're listening to the Sports Grid Radio Network. You're listening to Pushing the
2: Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralta. All right, so yesterday, Dennis Dodd and others who cover college football reported that we are headed to expansion. The question's going to be how many teams will be in the college football playoff soon? And the recommendation could come as early as this week as to how many teams and how the format should be set up for the future of the college football playoff. Ben Kircheval at Ben Kircheval, CBS Sports covering college football, joining us here on Pushing the Odds. Ben, Matt Peralta, how are you? I'm good, Matt. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for the time. Appreciate you coming on. All right. So am I right to say this? It's inevitable that we're going to expand. It's just a question of how many teams. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, and that's sort of been the case for a while. It's just, you've had these incremental points leading up to now where you've had kind of more details emerge because the whole discourse around playoff expansion, I mean, that's gone back. To even when we installed the 14 playoff, you know, six seven years ago, it, you get about one season in, everyone's already talking about well, we're going to go to eight or we're going to go to 16, and throughout much of that time, you've had the the you know Bill Hancock, the executive director, and everyone involved in, in you know making that happen, going well, you know, we like four, you know, we're always kind of keeping open mind, but it really wasn't until the past few months that you've actually had some more explicit detail about expansion and now obviously with what Pete family and, and, and Dennis Dodd reported yesterday. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're definitely marching towards that, that expansion. Just like you said, the, the devil is in the details. And right now they're trial ballooning the hell out of this 12 team format.
2: Yeah. Let's talk about the 12 team format. So this would be no automatic qualifiers, preferential treatment to the conference champions, but this would be, the SEC Invitational, right? <laughs> yeah, it would seem that way. And so, Okay, let me start by saying
3: my only wish in, in whatever playoff format we decide is that it pipes down as many people as possible. You will have disgruntlement no matter what you come up with. But for the love of God, come up with something <laughs> that most people can just be okay with. Because here's the thing about playoff. It's, and you know this because we, we talk about this stuff all the time in our respective companies, and when we do these radio drops together, it sucks up so much oxygen in the room. We hardly talk about anything else other than playoffs to the point where it's like, Oh, okay, we get it. It's, it's, it's the whole nationalization of this sport, and nothing else really matters. So if you're going to do that many teams, and you're going to say, "Well, we give preferential treatment to conference champions." Okay, well, that was supposed to be the case with the 14 playoff. Very clearly, that has not been the case. Um, and so, if you're going to go that much further, why wouldn't you just do automatic qualifiers? If you're going to go, if you're going to make the field that much bigger, and you're going to say the conference championships are very important to us, why wouldn't you just make it official? And just make
2: your job a little easier. It's a great point. And one thing that I'm curious about, and I guess we're not there yet, is that we have heard, and look, I'm 44 years old. I've been covering this for 20 years now about, well, college athletes are already playing too many games, and it's looking a lot like the NFL, and we're going to. You know, we're going to water down the rivalries and we're going to downplay the conference championship game, and that's going to hurt everyone and all the arguments, all the pushbacks we've heard until the dollars start flying. And then people are like, oh, well, that's okay. If we did a 12 game, a 12 team playoff, are we having a 12 game regular season or are we losing a game? Are they going to lop a game off and have it be a shorter regular season? Because If you play in the championship game, we're talking nearly like 17, 18 games now, right? Yeah, and for the
3: record, we should lop a game off the regular season just in general. They won't, but we should. Uh, The money games against lower-level teams, that's that's really been your 12th game. And I understand there's a whole argument about making sure that other lower-level programs can stay afloat financially, and that's a big way that they do that. I, I understand that, but we're I I think we should just limit the regular season anyway, Mm. take it back a game or two just in general. But in all of this chatter about the playoff and does it diminish the regular season Well, Okay. First of all, technically speaking, if you grow the playoff, it does diminish the regular season. It's just not by the amount that critics think that it does. There are ways you can counterweight. And I think you can even look back to last season as a really good example of this. You know what you do? You open up the bat. You move your conference schedule up. You can have some big non-conference games early in the year. Those those Chick-fil-A kickoff games are massive. You can keep those. Those are a lot of fun. You move up your conference schedule. Get rid of divisions. Go more to a pod system where you have a little bit more schedule equity. And then at the end of the year, add in a weekend or two where you have like what BYU and Coastal Carolina did last year, Mm. where it may not necessarily reflect... Your automatic qualifiers, it may not necessarily affect that, but it could potentially affect seeding. It gives you something that's important at the end of the year. And then if you have automatic qualifiers, then your conference championship game is important. So you can spread out that importance and that equity by making just about two or three tweaks uh, in your regular season to counterweight a growing postseason.
2: Hmm. Ben, I'm a big SEC guy, so I understand why the SEC is pushing for 12, and they want whether it's automatic or not, they want the opportunity to put not just the conference champion, but they want the SEC East champion in, and they want the the runner-up in the SEC East to get in because they feel like they dominate. I'm not, I'm not, and I have not been on the record looking for 12. I like eight. I like five automatic qualifiers and three at large. My question is, if that were to happen. How do the non-Power Five, how does the group of five feel about the opportunity to have one team in, or should there be more restrictions put on there, given that we're talking about a national championship and there's only a couple of years where a team like UCF actually is viable? All right, that's that's
3: a good question, and there's a lot going on there, and I'm just going to try to break, I'm going to give you a, a real succinct answer here. The, what, do you, what do you want the playoff to be? Because... If the idea is you want to crown the national champion and find the best team, you can stick with four. Like you said, there's like three, maybe five no, teams you in any given year. I, No, you
2: can't. I know. See, this is, this is what I'm going to push back on this. This idea that Clemson and Alabama, it's just them, and, and, and I don't care if you have a 30-team tournament, it's Clemson and Bama. These things run in cycles. I covered Alabama when Alabama was a joke, and Mike Shula couldn't do couldn't tie his own shoe at his press conference, couldn't talk publicly at all. I mean, Clemson. It, this is a recent phenomenon. I, I get the idea that okay, that you know, only one or two teams a year have a real legit ch- chance of winning the championship, but that's not always going to be the case. Nick Saban's going to retire at some point, and then Bama could fall right back to where they were under okay, Mike Dubose. Uh, all right, Matt, Matt, Matt. No, stop. Okay
3: you're looking at very specific teams. I'm not always talking about Alabama and Clemson. Okay. I'm saying in a given year, with the way that recruiting works, do you, let me ask you this. Do you agree that you have to recruit at a top five, top ten level to realistically win a national championship? In, over the course
2: of multiple years or one year? Over the course of multiple years. I mean, probably, but I do think there's something no, to be it's said for probably. a team. No, it's eh. not probably. No, Matt, Matt. And by the way, I love this because I feel like we agree on so much
3: <laughs> and we don't agree on this. Right. But, okay, Matt, okay, you need to recruit at a top five and top ten level over the course of about three years to win a national championship. I mean, you can bring in like a Cam Newton, right, because Auburn would be the exception to that rule. But over the past decade, you have to recruit at a certain level to realistically compete for a national championship. So if the goal is you want to find the best team, you probably only need a fourteen playoff to do that. But if your goal is we want to create more opportunity and we want to create more games and we want to create any, you know, something more than an invitational, then sure, an 18 playoff or a 12-team playoff absolutely makes sense. And, you know, I used to be like real gung-ho about four. I've softened on that. I'm fine with, with expanding it because I would like to see the Coastal Carolinas and the BYUs and the UCFs and, of the college football world. I'd like, to get, I'd like to see them get their shot, but if you know, the idea is you're going to go through this road of three or four postseason games, I'm not saying it will be Alabama-Clemson every year, but I am saying that the four or five-ish teams that you would have in the conversation now, you are more than likely going to have at least most of those teams in that same conversation at the end of that expanded playoff. I'm not opposed to the new format. I'm just saying don't be super surprised if you more or less get the same kinds of teams. But 10, 15 years ago, it would have been Texas, USC. It would have been Miami right. 20 years ago. I right. I agree with the cyclicalness of it. What I'm saying is it's not necessarily the, the specific teams. It's the number of teams.
2: Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. But I also think we all went into the NCAA tournament thinking that Pac-12 schools stunk and the Pac-12 dominated the tournament. I mean, until we play the games, we might think we know what's going to happen, but I want to know on the field versus in a in a boardroom determining who the four teams are who get in and leaving out the Pac twelve every year. Is that fair?
3: Um, I don't agree that you that that college basketball's March Madness is is an equivalent. I, I don't agree with that um, be, just because of how different the sports are and, and just I mean in college basketball you have one you if you get two you know, three five-star kids who are going to be one and done and go into you know, and going to the NBA, you know, you're talking about a completely different team than just, a, you know, a normal automatic qualifier. At the same time, there's so much – that format is so big and it's so different and there's so much luck that goes into that. I think football is a completely different sport. But, again, I, I think our common ground here is that, it, you know, look, I enjoyed watching Coastal last year. They were a good football team. BYU was a good football team. UCF a few years ago was a great football team. I don't know if they beat Alabama head to head, but I I have no qualms with giving them at least the opportunity to make
2: a run. Right, and look, that's sports, right? I mean, Miracle on Ice. I mean, it was our our high school, our college kids against Russian pros. I mean, on paper, we we have gone for so long in college football. Determining who is the best based upon an opinion versus actually finding it out and letting it play out the way every other sport, even every other NCAA sport, figures it out, which is rank it, seed it, and play the tournament and let the chips fall where they may. I'm just concerned about the SEC influence on this. Ben, I got 30 seconds left. When would this kick in? 2024 is when we're looking at once the contract's up. Is that fair? I think it'd be a year sooner. Call it 2023. Interesting. So you're talking about only two more tournaments, two more fours, I, and then the, I mean, the longer, the longer
3: we. Here's the thing. Here's what's going on right now during the season. The discourse around the playoff, it's stale, Map. It's stale, and you know what you can't keep doing? Keeping it stale. 2023. Yeah.
2: I love it. I I, I think it would be absolutely awesome if that's what, if we're only looking at that. You know, two more of these, and then we get to eight or twelve. I'm all in, Ben. Great stuff, man. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate your time this morning. All right, brother. Take care, man. That is Ben Kirchhoff at Ben Kirchhoff covering college football for CBS Sports here on Pushing the Odds. Great conversation with him. And I, look, that's great. 2023. So we have the 2021 playoff, 2022 playoff, and then we're expanding in 2023. Yeah, I'm I'm all in on that. And then, frankly, why don't we just do it in 2022? <laughs> Let's just do it next year. I know the TV contracts and whatnot coming to play, but we'll talk more about this on the other side. I I push back hard on the idea that, oh, it's going to be Bama and Clemson every year, and that's how it is. Okay? It has not always been that way. These things go in cycles. I covered Alabama when they went through four coaches in four years. More on that coming up next year. I'm pushing the odds.
1: As you continue listening to Sports Grid, ask yourself. And be honest, am I listening? Enough? Probably not. 16 hours a day. That's all we ask. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. You're listening
2: to Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralta. Good stuff with Ben Kirchhoff from CBS Sports talking about college football and the Black expansion idea. He believes 2023 we're expanding. That's two seasons from now. Look, I've always been in favor of the eight-team format. I'm going to stay in favor of the eight-team format. I think five teams, automatic qualifying, five, and then three at large and using the committee to determine the three. I'm fine with arguing who the ninth-best team is. And I know that that means at some point there's going to be, you know, if the Big Ten and the SEC are the best their second place qualifier, second place fi- uh, finalist, you know, losers of the of their championship games, those could be the same two every single year that get in, and then the one at large that's available to either a non group of five or sorry, a, a group of five team non power five or Notre Dame. I, I I'm okay with that. Okay, I, I do think we would come to a consensus. You need to win your conference championship. I want a lot of value on that conference championship. I don't. Want And and, and I'm really nervous about this 12-team idea because I don't want an SEC invitational. I I think that's what would happen, and it's why the SEC is pushing hard for 12 teams to get in with no automatic qualifiers. I don't like it because uh, they've got the opinion on their side. They know that. But I covered Alabama when they went through Mike Dubose and Mike Price and Mike Shula and Dennis Franchione. Four coaches in four years. It's not always going to be Alabama-Clemson. It's just Alabama-Clemson right now. And then when Saban leaves, we'll see who comes in behind him. But Bear Bryant, you know, Bama had a real tough time finding Bear and, and replacing Bear. They found him with Saban. And Saban's legacy is going to be more difficult, in my opinion, to follow than Bear Bryant's, which is saying something in Alabama. Clemson's got a great coach. Clemson's got it rolling, but it won't always be that way. LSU, Auburn, Ohio State, Michigan. These teams, USC. It goes in cycles. So I'm okay with five automatic qualifiers because I think we totally disrespect the Pac-12 far too often. Hour two is next. We welcome in sports map radio next year on pushing the odd.